Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip and this is episode 127. Thank you for tuning in, guys. We've got Lauren Laverne on at last. This is one that I've been teasing for a long, long time um, and I was delighted to finally sit down with Lauren. Um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm stocking up on episodes at the moment because it's hard to get people in in December. So uh, I'll give you a heads up of what we got coming next week. I got Robert Sheehan from everything from Misfits and Killing Bono and numerous other things, talking about his new film Jet Trash and all sorts of other stuff. Um, some stuff that we weren't sure if we were meant to talk about because we're too early, but we did anyway. Um, and then after that, I've got Michaela Cole, who was fantastic in Chewing Gum. She wrote, did everything, wrote, starred, and won awards in Chewing Gum. She's also in Aliens and in in Black Mirror. So yeah, that's great. And then after that, um, it will be some drunk casts to end the year. Speaking of which... This Friday at speechdevelopmentrecords.com, which is, the, is one of the sponsors of the podcast, this Friday, hopefully, I'm trying to get them up for, up for this Friday, it might be next week, but in theory, this Friday, if not sooner, um, we have Drunk Cast merch at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Um, let me explain. For those who don't listen, the Drunk Casts are, th- are some of the most popular episodes. It's me my mate Chris and my mate Stu and what we decided to do was have a a t-shirt that's got the drunk cast logo on the pocket on the breast as such there's not actually a pocket and then a back print for each of us so there's three different designs there's um the pip no time to explain a design um there's the stew whiffing design which is a logo for the whiffin which is where we drink um and record the drunk casts and then there's chris's craig's dojo design so check them out we're going to have them obviously available individually we're going to do a bundle as well um to get all three if you so desire they're all designed by the amazing claire hoop she's absolutely smashed it check out her instagram she's awesome so yeah that's all available at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. But equally, we've just topped up on on jackets and jumpers and, and woolly bobble hats. We've got everything at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. So head over there for all your Christmas needs. There's also my two-disc DVD of my Edinburgh Fringe show and my book, for, for God's sake. Both of my books. All of these are great Christmas presents and stocking fillers. So get in there. Um, on with this episode. It's with Lauren Laverne, who I absolutely adore, and I want to tell a quick story before we get get going. Sorry, I've got to start. Before we get going of the, the first time I met Lauren, um, and me and Dan were doing her radio show, and it was a live thing, I think from the Roundhouse, in the little, in the cafe bar bit there, and we had an interview and that, and when it finished, I was incredibly unprofessional. I asked her to record a video a message for my mate Stu's birthday, not the Stu not Stu Whiffin, my other mate Stu's birthday, because Stu, gr- gr- growing up, or, or when we were growing up, was the the biggest um, Kanicki fan in the world and loved Lauren. So I was incredibly unprofessional as an artist. I said, look, can you do this, a little video for my mate's birthday? And um, and she did it, and she did 
the most amazing video she kind of stood there and said look i understand you know obviously i'm married but i understand if if things had gone different in life we could have been together and um i want to wish you a happy birthday and it was absolutely amazing and i i i, I love her, f- her for that and um it was delightful to actually finally get around to sitting down and talking i'm a big fan of everything she's she's done over the years so enjoy this episode i'll be back at the end with a bit more information and we'll go from there all right this is episode 127 of the distraction pieces podcast with lauren laverne Going. I'm joined by Lauren Laverne. How are you? Hi, Scrooge. I'm good, thank you. We've How been organising this for ages, haven't we? It's been, uh, yeah. This is this is a bit of a dream, really. It, it, I, it pleases me that it's taken this long because it means that um, <laughs> we both kind of really wanted it to happen. It means we're both busy, which is good because that's, that's good. good to have a flourishing s- schedule. But it also means we both genuinely wanted to do it because there was numerous points where we could have just. I'll Sacked forget it. it. We keep no. trying. <laughs> I'm, you know, do you know what? I really, really want to do this. I'm so pleased to be here today. And even though it was a bit of a dance, yeah. I know that it's it's worth it. We've it got there. Good. I'm delighted. And you were, were saying that we're in Old Street, which is your old old ends. My so old this... neighbourhood, yeah. It's the proper kind of Grandpa Simpson thing to say, isn't it? If yep. you, once you've been in London a while. But I lived here. We are just off Silicon Roundabout. Yep. And that is where I lived. I lived at number 113 Old Street, when I was 21, oh, wow. uh, next door to what was then a burned out church, but is now the gentrified home of the London Symphony Orchestra. Yes, of and above it is. a cafe, which is still a reasonably grotty cafe that does a good <laughs> breakfast, which, you know, it's a good thing that some things like. stay the same. And that was, that was my house. Yeah, we had a bar in the, it was t- three floors and cheap, which just sounds crazy. Like, the, you know, younger people, yep. when you tell them this, are just shocked. But um, yeah, three floors and cheap. We had a bar in the front room that I'd brought down yeah. from Sunderland that I bought in Help the Aged for £20. Amazing. Orange velour bar. It's it's really interesting with East London and things like that. And obviously everyone g- goes on about g- gentrification and stuff like that. And it can be all blown out of proportion. But they are areas that, I mean, the reason they become cool is because they're originally cheap and, and people could move there and artists could move there. Yeah, but of course. it's a strange mix because I, I remember about eight, nine years ago now, I had some friends who lived here and on the walk home one night, uh, it was two girls and they got, they got beaten up and it was horrible. Oh. And one of them got a really injured eye. But the fact was, I mean, I was kind of, I talked about it and in, in no way justifying it, but also saying, well, in rougher areas at certain times of night, do you know what I mean? You have to be careful or not go in certain places. It's weird how these areas become these cool artisty places and you forget that as well as artists moving there, there's a lot of people who've grown up in rough situations. It's and complicated, isn't it? It's, it's a really weird mix. I remember talking to a friend of mine about uh, the West End and we yeah. were talking about kind of the way that London changes and gentrification and stuff. And he said to me, well, you know, if you would have walked down Tottenham Court Road a yeah. hundred years ago, where, yeah. you know, someone would have probably, you know, boshed you on the head and yeah. stolen your pocket watch. And and I think the part of, you know, that 
places becoming kind of less dangerous and it's one it's one of the upsides and you don't hear often the upsides of, of yeah. gentrification no, it's a really positive you know, perhaps thing you've got some somewhere that you know it's better lit there's more people around you yeah. know may, maybe there's a an element that areas become safer but obviously you know there's plenty of downsides to it as well <laughs> i think round, round here has changed so much but it still has a lot of the spirit of when I was here, when I was 21, there was like not, it's, it sounds mad to say, it, but there was nothing to do at the weekend. Yeah. Like one of the games that we used to play, because we were still essentially children, because we were so little, um, at the weekend, we would go out and the best place that was open was the 333. Yep. Which is obviously, you know, been here forever. Yeah. And we kind of maybe go to like reggae night, which I think used to be on a Sunday at the 333. But the rest of the weekend, there was no shops open. There was nothing to do. I used to, <laughs> we used to walk around and pretend that there'd been a nuclear attack it's and that we were the only survivors. That was our is, best game. It's just on the outskirts of, of, of the financial district of Fenchurch yeah. Street. And it's weird because, because growing up in Essex, Fenchurch Street is the station you come into and coming at the weekends, you do suddenly go, Oh, this is is this it's London. There's no one about, and you can see how. As as I swear, when a Twenty Eight Days Later came out, I was like, did they book parts of London or just film it on a Saturday and Sunday when it was? Do you just, want to know yeah, the story? So I, I I interviewed Danny Boyle, and he told me about this. So the trick that they used to get those totally dead uh, sequences because they didn't have any money when they yeah. really when they were starting out that film. Um, they had, I think it was the Mal, isn't it, at the beginning, yeah. that those kind of roped off. And they would, put, well, they, were, they had some very pretty girls who happened to work on the team and they asked the girls to stop the traffic Brilliant. and talk to the drivers because it was delivery drivers at that time. Brilliant. And they just kind of more or less like had to charm them. Amazing. And they found that when, you know, I think a few pe- different people had done it, but apparently the girls got the best sort of strike rate at yeah. getting people to yeah. stop. Yeah, yeah. And they just said, oh, we're doing this <laughs> film. Will you, you know, will you, will you kind of hang back for a bit? So it's just, literally charm in so many of them situations politeness and friendliness is far better than having a bit of paper that says we've got this honey than with exactly i mean it's funny we mentioned that because i was listening a while back to your your visit on on richard herring's podcast and obviously i don't want to go over the same stuff i recommend that people listen to that because it's a great episode but (laughs) you were one of the original a shawn of the dead uh, uh, zombies that in, in, in the kind of in the pilot version that got the film made as such yeah i was actually the first zombie of any any of the zombies so what it was (laughs) it's on the dvd extras so if anybody has has that at home they can uh, check it out but um i when they were trying to get funding for the film um edgar and simon and nick just asked some of their friends and i was one of their mates to come and get made up as zombies and then we would kind of like zomb around and just sort of um, <laughs> help them use make a taster tape and then they you know took it to studios and kind of said look, this is what it would look like yeah. and give us some money when they were trying to get funding together and eventually it worked but I can tell you I was the worst actress of <laughs> <laughs> that set I just couldn't keep a straight face but because I was so pale I was and say, so it must be thin tough when it's your mates as well anyway because it, it is oh god well do you know, they're, they're, they're deadly serious about it but you're messing about as a zombie oh, with your mates oh man they were already brilliant and everybody else doing it was a prop actor but I think I kind of <laughs> The the benefit I had was I was just going to say I was so pale and so thin in those days that I actually didn't need much makeup. They were just like white contacts. She's good to go, and that You'll was do. probably why Perfect. I was I was first. Bosh, amazing, done. amazing. So was um, Old Street uh, when you f- first moved down to London? Was that your first kind of introduction to the it was, the big scary world of London? It was sort of my second, my first one. 
And this is my, I lived around here when this was my first flat that was mine. And we had one before that, that we somehow persuaded our record company to rent for us, which was, you know, again, the 90s, all the hubris, (laughs) the things that you could do in those days. Um, so we persuaded our record company to, to hire us a flat because we, you know, they needed us here and we didn't have anywhere to stay, um, which was in Camden, just yeah. off St. Paul's Road. Of course, the record company was renting a, a band, a flat in Camden. I mean, Where else would you put yeah, them? Yeah, exactly. Could, could it be more 90s? Yeah, exactly. exactly. We, need, we need some kind of strike up the Rembrandts. It's like an indie episode <laughs> of Friends. Um, so, yeah, we, we did. We all lived there. And that was that was a really good laugh. And then um, we moved. A few of us moved. Um, uh, to a flat here so I've lived all over I've lived all over London it's generally been north but I have kind of um, you know been over to West London yeah. it's funny because I, I was thinking of, I talked to someone about this the other day like I just arrived in London and then I feel like everything really significant that's happened in my life since has happened within about a three mile square radius yeah. do you know what I mean I haven't, yeah. I haven't gone beyond that it's crazy well let's kind of talk about that movement I guess because uh, you started I mean as far as I can imagine, I don't know how many jobs people generally have as a, a very young child, but you've kind of only known the entertainment industry, right? Because you were very young when you started Kaniki and well, I was 15, yeah. 15, exactly. And you so, kind of had many jobs before that. I know, I know you're from the North East, but still, they, they, can't, <laughs> they can't have been putting you to work that early. No, do you know what? And it's funny because none of it was really supposed to happen. Like I was, I always had a very clear plan about what I wanted to do. I thought I would, um, assumed I would go on to university and um, be become an academic like my dad. Yeah, that was always what I wanted to do, and it's like the only thing I haven't done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, this, I've had so many kind of different, uh, weird jobs and situations, but but never that. And so yeah, I started the band when I was fifteen. We started making records and. That was really supposed to be a reward. I mean, my mum always says that, um, you know, I went to a very strict school and um, they pushed us very, very hard. It was a convent school and it was it was quite, you know, hard as yeah. those, in, in the kind of, you know, teenage sense of what's hard. Yeah, sure. And uh, so as a reward, my mum would always, you know, let us go to gigs and kind of let us enjoy music and, you know, rehearse in the house and uh, all that kind of stuff, get yeah. really, really into and, and go out, you know, as always that kind of nightclubs and, you know, my dad would come yeah. and pick us up at whatever time. That's, night That's great as a motivation and reward for going, you know, for, for, for knuckling down. But here's the thing, it was supposed to be a distraction. So it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. And she always says it's just so funny that that's ended up being... And it seems obvious when you look back, yeah. you know, of course, like if, you, you know, you just allow someone to do that and yeah. they start going to the riverside when they're 14 or yeah. whatever to yeah, see yeah, all yeah, these yeah, different yeah. bands playing, just you know, feed their head with all this stuff, that then that's going to become their life and yeah. it has become my life. But that was never the plan, I think, for either of us. You know, I assumed that I would I would go to university and, and go down a different path and sort of haven't. So, yeah, you know, I haven't done any of the things that I was expecting to yeah. Uh, but for a long time, I was... do loads of good stuff though, right? I, I mean, amazing. <laughs> no, and I'm I'm so happy and so lucky. But this isn't... Uh, it's not a job I would ever have thought to aim for. No, you know? I mean, again, that's what... Uh, two things there. Were, were your parents are religious at all? You, you said you went to a convent school. And, and I went to an all-boys Catholic school. But my right. parents weren't religious. It was just in working-class areas, they tend to be school. the better schools. So it's kind of you 
not you fake it, but you kind of go, well, let's 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 see that option. Well, one's one's Catholic. My mum's Catholic. She's from a big working class Catholic yeah. family, and um, my dad is technically agnostic, but um, yeah, his religion is uh, blues. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're very kind of. My brother calls it refers to our house when we were little as the culture tardis, yeah. right? So. I just think it's a bit of a cheat, you know, people go, oh, you know, you know loads about music and, they, and you know, I just grew up with all that yeah, stuff. So we had a very kind of liberal, cultural, culturally rich um, little house yeah. in, in this little bubble. And so, yeah, my mum is, she is uh, Catholic and so that was kind of part of yeah. our upbringing. But it wasn't that, I think sometimes when you say Catholic, you think kind of strict, prohibitive, yeah. bossy. Yeah, it wasn't any of that. It was kind of like very nurturing and yeah, my school was, it was, is, you know, a, a really fantastic yeah. school. Academically, certainly, I, you know, I spell really, really well. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> You've learned the, yeah, exactly. learned the right things. That's good because it sounds as if you would have had a lot of support choosing the career, career you went down as well. Because, again, we're both kind of from areas in Essex and in, in, in the northeast in general that traditional working class areas, but in recent years have had Geordie Shaw and The Only Way is Essex that kind of, paint an image of 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 a striving f- for glamour and whatnot that is it, it, it's true of part of those areas but it, it wasn't anything i knew growing up it was it's funny that isn't it because i always think that people misread that stuff i mean you know obviously there's that that culture exists and that's that's exactly. part of the kind of mix the cultural yeah. mix up there i loved i don't know if you saw grace and perry's series that he did where he went to the northeast he's done no, a, a few documentaries yeah, no, there now and i think you would actually you would really connect yeah. with it because for me there was a lot about there's a lot about that kind of stuff that people misread right yeah. so for me when i look at um people dressing up in the really kind of maximalist yeah. um you know makeup and all the eyebrows and the hair extensions and everything I love that. You know, yeah. it's not something that I kind of did, but I can relate to it because I think I'm coming at that from a different place. And I, people often say about Northerners or the North, like people who aren't Northerners or don't know, oh, you know, well, good Northerners, they've got your feet on the ground. And it's. I think it's funny because for me, the culture that I grew up with is absolute opposite. Yeah. You know, it's about, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but it's about like a fantasy life. It's about this very rich kind of, um, the weekend is a place that you can kind of escape to and you yeah, live completely. out your fantasy version of yourself, whatever that is. Yeah. So if that is, you know, looking like, uh, you know, a Kardashian and kind of yeah. going to a club and wearing a little bandage dress, then you do that. You know, you, you get out there and you kind of, you go for that. And then for me, I had a kind of different version of that, you know, and, yeah. and it was about like DIY music scene and going to gigs. But we, you know, we used to do stuff like, um, we do a gig, I remember once, taping ourselves in uh, bin bags all over our <laughs> outfits that we do a song and then we'd like rip the bin bags off and then we had our amazing, amazing. charity shop outfits on underneath and yeah. and obviously it probably looked like really terrible but in our heads yeah it meant something and I, I think the place that that comes from and I you know for me I am like the daughter of a sociologist so I would see the the kind of structural uh, the, the structuralist analysis of, of things um, and I think <laughs> that that is see my grander who was a minor his equivalent of that was that he was underground working night shifts for, for you know, during the week. And then the weekend, he would go to the working men's club with his brothers. He was one of 13. Wow. And they all used to sing. And they sang together. They sang napkin Cole covers. You know, oh, he was, he, the they were so handsome. You know, yeah. they were they were cool and and that that is that was their real life. Yeah. That bit, you know, was the fantasy life was the stuff that mattered. 
So when people kind of are really sniffy about shows like Essex or Geordie Shore, yeah. and I'm not saying, you know, I don't particularly watch either myself, actually, but when people are kind of derisory about them just as a reflex, um, you know, response, it, it, it really annoys me because actually that that comes from somewhere that's really valid and interesting Completely. and that is as culturally rich as any other kind of, you know, cultural expression or... or yeah, and it's, it's, it, it's again, it, it, it makes me think of it's it's always kind of annoying me when people say a cinema is is an escape from reality. It's an enrichment of, of reality, and it's it's a similar thing there of your weekends. It's not it's not escaping the hard work of the week. It's adding to it and enriching it and making it easier to get through that, and that it's hard the work that area. To you. It's yeah. where you kind of put your your soul. And I remember um, I, I was in Newcastle last year doing the Six Music Festival. We came from Newcastle Gateshead, yeah. and they got me asked me to do a Q and A with Brian Ferry there, which was so great. And I've met him a few times. And my dad was in a band with some of the members of Roxy Music. Amazing. So like over the years, yeah. you know, like he he knew that, and my dad gives a list of people to find out about, you know how. Fantastic! What had happened to this guy and this girl, and um, which was really oh, nice. that's awesome. A little, a few insider oh, questions. Of... Yeah, only remember them all. It's like she's the prettiest girl in art school. <laughs> but um, but anyway, <laughs> one of the things that we were talking about was that, and and actually, if you see it with Roxy and with Brian Ferry, this kind of very slick, like you know, lounge suit and the crooner and the now that is he grew up. Surrounded by men who were like my granda and yeah. my great uncles, you know yeah. those, those the the guys who were aspiring to be Nat King Cole or perhaps Frank Sinatra or whoever, yeah. you know that that he kind of grew up in in that sort of melange of of influences yeah. and, and and music too. And so I asked him about that, and and you know that was something that he kind of connected to, and it was quite it was really lovely actually because for me then you know a generation or so, two generations perhaps down. I grew up looking at Roxy Music and thinking, okay, well, what's my version oh, what of this? What can we do? You know? yeah. And so you kind of pass it on, don't you? Hopefully, that's how it works. I love the idea of of, of the effort put in in the whole like a thing like the bin bags and ripping off when <laughs> when it's it's probably a pub gig. I always remember, in fact, Literally, early yeah. on a, around the corner here, really early on in in Paloma Faith's career, I remember doing a gig with her, and she did her gig, and again, it's kind of in a pub essentially, mm-hmm. and she had this paper dress that she sure. gradually rip parts off of to change the style of dress and all that and after that gig i just remember watching thinking i really hope you get massive because this deserves to be yeah this works in a stadium in a pub it's 50 50 (laughs) (laughs) in a pub it might not work but in a stadium this is this is the ultimate this is art this is beauty obviously for paloma she she kind of took it that we pretty much stayed playing the pub gigs but yeah (laughs) Yeah. we enjoyed it it was fun yeah Uh, so what was it like kind of starting off a, a band in in that era obviously there was it wasn't only a london centric the kind of indie scene that was was building up it was something that felt a bit more out in all the different areas and all the different yeah, locations well Britpop was it felt homegrown yeah Britpop was very kind of london centric yeah, but it's sure. funny isn't it because people look back at the 90s and they only sort of see that and obviously you know i guess you do that with every decade you have the yeah. kind of highlights reel yeah. actually the 90s was so much more diverse than y- you often see on, yeah. on tv or hear people talking about on radio or whatever so yeah we came from a northeast scene that was oh, very DIY, you know, very kind of guitar heavy. I grew up going to see lots of kind of grunge bands, really. Yeah. That was the first music that I kind of discovered that I felt like mine. Uh, got really, really into that. And then I suppose I was thinking about this because I had I had a very young band in to see me 
who I really liked last week. Um, and one of them was wearing an excellent hat. And I was like, oh, my God, amazing hat. Tell me about the hat. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I want to look like Jennifer Harima, who from Royal Trucks. Right. And I like love Royal Trucks. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I love Royal Trucks. And, I, you know, I went to see them when I was 15 and all this. And uh, and I was talking to him and I was thinking about um, going to see their band and uh, just kind of the, the way that I went to see them and uh, the drummer was chatting me up afterwards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of. I was 15 or whatever and left yeah. and actually as mentioned earlier like my, my dad was literally outside in the car waiting for me to be poor dad uh, took us home so <laughs> that kind of never went anywhere and then a few months later I went to see uh, Free Kitten um, right. Kim Gordon's band yeah. and then I left that gig and the next day formed a band yeah. because we had shouted out they'd asked for Amazing. they were improvising songs and they said um, they said let's uh, you know give us some phrases to improvise songs around and we shouted I shouted cat suits because we I thought that was funny and they were like what and did a song that had had that in it I think it had that word in it and then the next day I went out and formed a band and our first EP Kinnicky's first EP was called Cat Suit City Amazing. because of that and uh, I was thinking about this after talking to this guy out of the other band how funny that is and I ne- hadn't thought about it since and this is like yeah. 25 years later or whatever yeah. that I'd left that first gig where I'd kind of been really, you know, enthusiastically talking to this guy and being like, oh, my God, like, I love your music. And do you like this record? And what do you think about that? Yeah. And he was like, hey, do you want to see the van? And I, I left like I was pretty depressed by that yeah. experience, even though, you know, I, I absolutely love their music. And yeah. Still and always will. And, you know, fair play. He was he just saw a, a pretty girl or whatever he thought. And um, yeah, fine. But I, I left that and I felt a bit kind of like, oh, no, I was telling you all the things I love. And then, but when I left that other gig, yeah, I thought, oh, I can do this. Absolutely inspired. It's, it's amazing finding them ones that, that give that moment of inspiration. And there it feels like that slight engagement, that yeah. slight engagement oh, makes you go, much. I kind of helped yeah, write I did that song. Oh, I did <laughs> I'm, I'm a co-writer on, on that song. I said the word first. It's weird. I always remember I saw t- t- two gigs in one week. And they were the ones that made me think, I'm, 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 I'm going to try this. And it's a weird mix because it was the Beastie Boys, who are obviously legendary, and the Bloodhound Gang, who oh. I absolutely adored. But both of them I kind of looked at and went, this is amazing, but equally, uh, why not? Yeah. I'm not saying I could do it on that level, but no, I can exactly. definitely do something. I, I'm rapping along to every word of both of them. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. You know, there's something there that can make me, that you could p- potentially do. I think that's it. And I kind of, because I, it was really weird because I was just talking about a hat and then started thinking about all this stuff. And I was saying, <laughs> I wanted to go back to that guy and say to him, you know, you're in a band now who are really, really popular. Please remember, like when you get to the, interact with people. The power and impact of Yeah, it. like give, you know, say to them, say like, you can do, you, you, you yeah. can do this. Yeah. Yeah, or try it or, or like, like leave a little space for them to, to join in, you know. Don't, completely. Yeah. How, with, again, I, I want to kind of get to moving down to London and, and working your way into radio, but just speaking on of radio now, you kind of, you've got that great power and opportunity to, to, to help push a lot of new music, to help inspire a lot of, of new bands. How exciting is that? Like how exciting going to gigs as well it's that it's that weird thing generally in most people's gig going career if if they get into the industry as such they'll have the bit where they love going to gigs then the bit where they have to go to gigs and it's kind of a chore (laughs) 
and then hopefully come back round to that bit where it's like this is amazing. When I get to go again. now, it's such a treat because yeah. I've got two kids. Obviously, so you've got the kids family going family is like, like yeah. you know, that's the bit that's really tricky for me. Now. So any time that I'm, I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! Like yeah. they're going to do songs. It was, it was it was really weird I, I, when I. I got my radio show on XFM. Mm-hmm. I'd had that period of touring for years. And it wasn't until I started doing the radio show that I realised I'd stepped away from music a lot. That mm-hmm. that wasn't mine because I was so focused on writing and touring yeah. that. And when I suddenly had to have new music every week and new acts and new artists, it's the most informed I've been in years of music. Because like, I knew everything that was going in, on in Southern California to Minneapolis to all this in, yeah. in the kind of alternative hip-hop scene. And that was a great thing to, as your job, it's have amazing. to be really into music. I mean, it is it is the best job I've ever done, without doubt. It is such a pleasure. There's a point every Friday where one of us in, on the team will kind of say, oh, we should do this tomorrow, and then realise we're not coming in. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. You know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm I'll do something else, yeah. I guess. <laughs> oh, the weekend. Um, so it's always a pleasure. Um, and it's funny, isn't it, because I think... Like, obviously, I try not to take myself too seriously. You know, you've got to know that if you are a jock, uh, like you are among your people when you are, when people say, you know, Alan Partridge, like (laughs) all of you, you know your people, right? And don't think that you're, because you're on an indie station, you know, you're any different. It's not, it's the same job. And I feel very kind of, um, I feel really um, get quite emotional about radio you know yeah today at um at six music they just renamed our building wogan house oh wow this That's morning beautiful. and they kind of unveiled it was western house and now it's become wogan house and oh, I, I just love i love that you know and me too and and that i can kind of walk through those doors every every day and there's you know my, my so biggest name. my biggest excitement anytime i was in for six music was it when i'd be waiting and wogan had happened to walk past and it would be just that aura that excitement of absolutely oh yeah <laughs> yeah no exactly and and you know so many of those guys that's that's one of the amazing things about being part of that um working in that building and, yeah. and being part of that industry is they're just such incredible and really lovely people like yeah. radio people generally speaking obviously you know there's always one or two um bad apples but it's it's a very it's it's nerdy right yeah. so that's like Completely. the good pe- it kind of draws the good people to them. so for me i feel like that is where I belong. But then I think in terms of like, you know, playing people's records and, and like you say, giving yeah. people a platform and, and kind of choosing who you're going to give that to, I a like really big responsibility, really brilliant. Yeah. But you have to, while I don't take myself seriously, I take that seriously. Yeah. I take no, what we're great. doing really seriously yeah. and try to make it really good. And obviously, you know, every day I think we, we have such an amazing opportunity because I get to go to work and choose to make something beautiful every yeah. morning. So as far as I'm concerned, like that's my job. Yeah, and then, there's, you know, there's lots of other stuff around that, like people, you know, how, how you choose what to play and there's a whole kind of industry, isn't there, of, of pluggers and, and yep, things. And yep. I try not to get into that. For me, yeah. I feel like it's my job to, it's not not like it's an artwork or something, but it's more, it is like a mixtape, you know, for a friend yeah. every day. And, and how's it going to be? What does Tuesday feel like? How is Monday different from Thursday? I you know, and you and kind it, of follow people's week. And, and you I think you're great as, as, as well as uh, of interacting with your listeners in that way of, 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 of bringing them into it and knowing because again the fact is you are the, effectively there as their servant as such in in, in, in that sense so it has yeah, to exactly so it has to be a an engaging relationship it can't just be 
hit, like, I don't know, always, it always used to annoy me in kind of early 2000s, I guess, when there was a bit of a trend of bands being very much, I'm going to perform my art. And if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. If you don't, you don't. And I've always come from the opposite of that of, uh, damn, you've paid to get in. I'm, I'm being paid to be here. You've paid <laughs> to be here. I need to make sure you're happy and not going over the top with it, but trying to keep that entertainment. So yeah. having an awareness of, and that interaction are, are with your listeners of what they want and what, and what gets a good reaction. It's got to be a positive thing. I mean, it's just they're so they're so funny, you know, and yeah. so lovely and, and <laughs> so interesting. So we make space for them every day on our program. That's really important. You know, there's a there's a, a good kind of twenty minutes, half an hour every yeah. single day where it's a listener's choice or it's everybody's choice. You know, we yeah. do people's playlist each week. And yeah. So that's you know that's really important. But yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? You, you know, you kind of saying that the I've always found like having interviewed a lot of people now over the years. Yeah. The thing that I think it strikes me is that the better people's ideas are, the stronger their ideas are, the, the keener they are to communicate them to you clearly. Yeah. Like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of smoke and mirrors about people who aren't quite as good. There's not quite yeah. as much there as they'd like you to believe. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a bit yeah, of a yeah. kind of, you know, look around the eyes, don't look into the eyes. Yeah. It's a bit of that, yeah, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. I, I always find that when you really speak to people like, you know, Laurie Anderson, um, you, I never got to interview David Bowie, but hearing all of the, the archives that yeah. we played out of David Bowie's interviews, Anoni came in a few months ago and she's just amazing and, and so keen to, to really get across. This is my idea. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. That real kind of directness. Like, I love that. Yeah. You know? And, and, and again, it's, there's, there's a beauty and purity in that. Y- years and years ago, I remember t- 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 talking to Saul Williams. And being oh, surprised, amazing, hearing he? him say, he said to me, and, and not in an aggressive way, but I have no loyalty to the underground. My my aim, I'm excited about what I'm doing. So the more people I can talk about it to, the more people I can get my message is a tough word because Saul can be put in that bracket of preachy or, or messaging. But again, the more people that I can get my art across to, yeah. the better. And and again, it's, it's, it's that beautiful thing. He's got that laser focus of, no, let's let's get this out to as many people as possible. I mean, I saw he came in right at the beginning of the year, February, I think he was yeah. in, and he he's my what a standout session of this year, just yeah. absolutely amazing performer, and obviously you know author and writing yeah. everything else that he does. I was like, what should I call you? And he went, just say I'm an artist, and I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I lucked out on having him on the podcast because numerous times he was almost giving out a monologue, and I'm sitting there thinking damn, I'm not intelligent enough to respond to this. And just at the end of it, he'd say something that that was relevant to something I'd like read that morning or something like that. So in the podcast, I looked almost in as intelligent as Saul. But so many times I'm relating to that. Phrase, so I know exactly going, how that feels. This is amazing. But what can I say other than that's amazing, man? You know, which isn't a very good interview. Just letting someone speak then saying, great, continue, <laughs> keep going. This is great. So I lucked out on that episode. But what, yeah. Oh, what an amazing guy. Really, really brilliant. Um, I guess as well, having had that experience in the music industry, you know, you truly know, and from talking to you here, appreciate how much it means to play people on the radio. And because, again, it was another thing, and not to keep referencing my brief run on XFM, but I had a show at midnight on XFM and I didn't think too much. I was like, I'm going to play stuff that's cool. Mm. This is good. And then after the first couple of weeks, I'd have people message saying, that's my first ever airplay in the UK or first ever airplay anywhere. And suddenly I was like, 
I remember how I remember That's when John magic. Kennedy played my first song and it meant everything. Yeah, everybody remembers yeah. the first time they heard themselves on the radio. Yeah. It is the one thing whether you are you know the Stones or yeah. Art Brute or yeah. you know whoever like whatever place in the spectrum you occupy. It's a magical, yeah. you know, and it is the moment that everybody remembers. And I remember, I remember John Peel playing my record on my 18th birthday as oh, my dad wow. was driving us to a gig. God Amazing. love him. And we were all crammed into the back of the car with like guitars poking out. The One of the guitars was out the window, you know, because we couldn't fit everything into the back of the car. And I remember him playing our record and us screaming and it was just unbelievable. And to get to give that to people is yeah. that it, it really yeah. is a, such a pleasure. It's beautiful. I remember I'm, I'm, I missed the first time that we were played because because John Kennedy, I, I love him dearly, but he so loves being on the ball that we didn't even know we'd sent it off. Didn't even know <laughs> it had been and gone. And we knew he was going to play it the next day. And I tuned in, and it was me. I, st- I still lived at my mum's. It was me, my mum, and my brother, and our mate Andy. Uh, uh, listening through the TV for some reason. I don't know why we had it just just listening through been, the TV. Must have been then, yeah, um, clear and signal. he was sitting there, and it was, it was one of them things of going no, no, because he was saying, "Oh, I played this song yesterday, and it got got such a big reaction." We're like, it's, prob- us, it's probably isn't us. us. And then he <laughs> just gave the longest. It's I swear it felt like half an hour of teasing. Like, well, it's definitely not going to be this one. And then it's the the first beat started. It was like. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> it's like it oh my God, the opposite of the Zoolander moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Did you tape it? Did you did you record it? I think we recorded it on again on the TV, like because you had recorded radio on Sky Plus, and we've got it somewhere. But yeah, it meant the world. But so a, a six music is one of those exciting things of of a now massive radio station that still has that much freedom. Obviously, there are playlists and things like that, but has that freedom to to break stuff on shows throughout the day, not just on some show in the middle of the night, mm. kind of th- th- throughout. Do you think the best thing that happened to Six Music was the attempt to close down s- a Six Music? Because it really seemed to be the, the whole Save Six Music movement seemed to just take it all to the next level and make people appreciate or what they had there. It galvanised everything, didn't it? Yeah. I think it did. Uh, it had a lot of interesting effects. Lots of, some people will, there's a conspiracy theory that, you know, oh, yeah, it's just a, this is the publicity campaign that yeah, someone yeah. somewhere dreamed of. Honestly, not. They were really, really going to close yeah. it. Um, and it was really horrible and scary at first, but then the most incredible um, thing happened and our listeners rallying around us it did a few things, um, obviously got the word out about the station, which yeah. was amazing. And then, and then since then, we've kind of continued to grow, um, which was wonderful. It showed us, everybody who works there, it showed us what we meant to people in yeah. a way that, you know, we knew, but you, it's different. You know, when you are standing at a protest and there's like someone with the Father Ted down with this sort of thing yeah. sign and somebody else who's made <laughs> cupcakes with records on top, you know. Amazing. And you actually are all together and you meet everybody and they come through for you. Like, you know, you, you know that what you do matters to them yeah. in a different way from before, in a more real way from before. And also... You know, you owe them, right? Yeah, so yeah. the other thing that happened in the kind of strange knock-on, apart from all, all of that wonderful stuff, and then, you know, they saved us. Like, we all owe them every day yeah, yeah. to come in and 
do our best. And I, so I think we actually raised our game across the board, not just people on air, because obviously we're, yeah. there's a small amount of people who are on air. And then the, the real, you know, the, the bulk of the station is, is the people that you don't hear, but yeah, who make course. it all happen. And we all felt that, you know, and yeah. we all just worked really, really hard and we just care about what we do. We always cared about it. Yeah. But now we felt like fully justified yeah, yeah. in, you know, like you say, like I, I do think, I think there's something a little bit magical about radio. It, it is. It's something it's like, and, 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 you know, I don't really differentiate between, you know, radio and podcast. To me, the same thing, that moment where you're you're in somebody's ear and you are with them in their day, whatever yeah. they're doing, whether they're walking to work, going home, you know, they might be up in the middle of the night feeding their baby. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the times that I yeah. I listen, you Completely. know. And like actually it's so it's such a such an amazing kind of privilege. Yeah. And we saw that kind of play out in front of our eyes. So Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think at times the BBC have kind of had its its hand forced a bit, but it's been it's caused great progressions and and, and 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 six music with its 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 online players, its podcasts and things like that. But then equally, I know there was s- some uproar on TV as the BBC Three channel was becoming digital only, oh, and it was this scary thing. But I think a lot of these things are hugely positive because for BBC Three and for 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 Four OD and things like that, because they've gone online. N- number one. That's the way the world's going with That's podcasts and everything. And yeah, number two, it gives that is. much. It seems to have given more freedom. Both of them seem more comfortable. As said, BBC Three and Four OD and all the digital services seem more comfortable going. Oh, let's let's give this a try on on more unusual stuff that they maybe wouldn't have if it was. Well, we've got our prime time slot. Is it getting the audience? It's going well. It's online. Let's take some risks. Let's push things out there. It sort of brings everything into quite a clear focus, doesn't yeah. it? It's that very, you know, that vision of what we're about. Why are we here? What are we doing? For me, it's six. I think, you know, we are lucky in that the, the wind's in our sails with the technology. So it's brilliant. You know, we just had another set of radar figures, which are, yeah. you know, over two million now, which Amazing. is just incredible. And I remember years ago when um, our, our then boss said, I want to try and get the station to two million. You know, I think we can do it. And we were all like, well... That sounds brilliant, but that. also what? <laughs> I just thought that was insane, you know. And but and here we are, and it, yeah. it, it's amazing. And I don't think I think while we've brought all those new people in, we haven't lost the core of what we do. So that it's it's just really really exciting to yeah. to be part of it. But with the winds in our sails with the technology, like you say, you know, we're digital. That's where everybody is. So 100%. while it's great to get those brilliant figures, you've got to remember that we are lucky that we don't have the problems that every other major radio station has so you know it's interesting isn't it the way that it's reported and it's a bit of a radio nerd thing and i'm sure people will be interested but (laughs) i think it's interesting that you have you know uh, networks like radio 4 and um radio 2 and they've got very big fm audiences that they need to migrate to digital and then you've got radio 1 who kind of have the opposite problem where you know they'd love to be able to cure uh, to put together their um, Facebook likes and the YouTube views and, yeah. and everything else and then kind of translate that into to, you know a, a, a non-digital some other kind of uh, um, m- number that yeah. they can they can all put it all together and then there we're, we are in the middle it's funny we're yeah. small but we're kind of like we're not beset by any of those really difficult problems that everybody's it's, sort of dealing with it's kind of the beauty of of of, of that of, of the position of, of Six Music of not of not the lack of expectation, but of the kind of <laughs> you're there and you kind of it, it 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 feels like the channel that 
most of all in the BBC range, is kind of left to do what you do. Like it's like not meddled with too much. Not not there's not again a radio one. There's huge pressure. It's radio one. It's always yeah. had this certain status and things like that. So if something starts to slightly not work, then are we going to change everyone? Are we going to change someone? Whereas it feels like Six Music, it's comfortable to go. Well, you just you you get on with with what you're doing, and that allows it to flourish and turn into this 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 beautiful resource. We're very lucky, I think, and I feel like on my show, you know, I took over from George Lamb. You yeah. know, George Lamb's yeah. show was so different to my yeah. show. It's, oh, completely. It's, um, you know, a real kind of completely different thing, and it's changed a lot over the nine, ten years, or whatever yeah. it is I've been there. And I think it's we've we've had loads and loads of support and kind of been allowed to to get it to the point that it is now. Yeah. But it is like you say, you've got to be allowed to try things, and yeah. you've got to be kind of left to go. Look, I really think this will work. You know, like you have an idea. We had the other day. We had um, September was quiet, and I just thought, oh well, let's do a kind of back to school thing. We'll just get interesting people to come and talk to us, and they can be our teachers. So yeah. we had a maths lesson from Marcus De Sotoy and John Savage oh, came wow. and gave us a music lesson. All this it was brilliant. Amazing. Uh, Roger Highfield, who runs a science museum, came and and uh, gave us a science lesson, oh, and I met. Uh, Chris Riddell, who's a, um, a political cartoonist, but also the children's laureate, an amazing illustrator and children's author. Amazing. I'd done a Q&A with him last year at the British Library about Alice in Wonderland because uh, Tenniel, who did the original Alice in Wonderland illustrations, was yeah. a political cartoonist illustrating a children's book, oh, which wow. is exactly kind of yeah, what yeah. he does. Amazing guy. And we got talking and he said, I'd draw to your show in the mornings. Um, I do listen and uh, I'll come in and one day I'll, he just draws all the time. He said, I'll come in, I'll, I'll draw the show. So what do you mean? They said, well, you know, I can just like, I'll do some sketches as you play records. So we did it and we broadcast it on Facebook Live. And we had Chris was literally with one hand holding his mobile and then with the other doing a sketch inspired by whatever record I was playing. So transmission by Joy Division, you know, I kind of intro Amazing, it, stick yeah. it on. He do, and during the, the record, he does these incredible illustrations. And it's the kind of thing where like, like if you'd written that down, you would go, how is drawing on the radio like actually going to work? That just sounds really if weird. You'd, if, 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 if you'd had a a, a, a pitch in meeting a and focus said, group, here's, you know here's I mean? our plan, it'd be like, right, okay, on to the, let's, let's, let's move, let's move <laughs> on from no that. no way if you'd had to kind of apply for, you know, funding or whatever. But honestly, it was, it was magic. Yeah. And we had so many people listening and um, getting in touch about it. We've kept the illustrations. We are going to, hopefully we're going to um, auction them for children in this month. But um, it was just really, really special. So they give you the freedom definitely to, to try things. And yeah. We really appreciate that. I love it. Um, so it's, it's hard to know where I want to go next. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to where I actually intended to start mm. because I want to uh, talk to you about the pool. Um, Cause I think again, it illustrates the huge variation of things you've done over the years from, from writing to, 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 to present in everything else. And it feels kind of, I mean, you started it, oh, when did it start? It was a couple of years ago, 18 right? months ago, 18 yeah. 18 months I mean, ago. We, start, we, we started planning a long time before that. It was quite a long process to, yeah. you know, get the site um, built and to develop the idea and then, you know, make it make it happen. Yeah. Um, but we've been live for about 18 it's, months. And, and it's one of those things that has become almost feels unfortunately important at the moment just with um obviously i think that's that's gone on in in, in the in the u.s and i'm not going to get political because i've had two podcasts in a row where we're, we're we're banging on about all that but a president elected who was kind of openly a misogynistic and and sexist in the lead up to the election 
so explain what the pool is it's it's a website for women and kind of made by women as as well it, it, at the minute yeah all female team at the minute we did but have it's, again we it's, had it's one a multimedia type thing as well as the guy left just, that one <laughs> Charlie, guy Charlie oh, oh, uh, was yeah. he employed um to tick boxes was it was, <laughs> <laughs> was no, he the man that drew my hill <laughs> and he was great but no he he, he moved on but yeah, it's all female team at the minute, which is uh, amazing, and you know, not, not something that, like I say, is deliberate. It's just yeah. just sort of the way it's worked out. But we, yeah, so we are a website. Um, we not exclusively for women, no. but made by women, yeah. and, and kind of with women in mind. And we cover everything from news, opinion, politics to art and culture, fashion, beauty. You know, everything that you would maybe be interested in the course of your day and yeah. expect to read in your favourite magazine, but it's multi-platform, so it's written pieces, it's um, video content and yeah. podcasts and um, yeah. audio as well. So we do what, music I, as well too. That's it. What, I, what I kind of love there is it's not, it's, it, it's not for, for, for a women in a women's mag kind of way. It's, it's for everyone, as you said. It's, it's news, it's music. But, man, that's important to have... A female perspective on a lot of these things because it isn't so so often throughout media it isn't or the default is male the default is male and it's so much written from a male perspective so yeah, yeah i think it's great to have that kind of angle on. i mean part of the reason that i wanted to start doing this this site like as we, you know and started thinking about the original idea for the site which was smaller and it you know yeah. grew very fast Sam Baker, who's my co-founder, um, was my editor when I was writing a, a column for her at Red Magazine. And she moved on from that job. And um, I met up with her for a cup of coffee. And um, I started thinking I'd, I'd been thinking about doing something digital for a while. But at yeah. that point, this is a, a few years ago, wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. Would it yeah. be like a blog? Could it do like a mail? Yeah. Like, you know, how, how would it work? And um, we started developing this idea. And it, part of the reason that I wanted to do it was that I was looking around at media yeah and i was kind of thinking like where are all the people who are all the girls younger than me yeah i mean there are a couple there are some you yeah. know there's like alice levine's brilliant and you know Gemma kenny's a good yeah. mate of mine and but like there aren't you know when it's i was coming up i was like one of loads yeah you know, and we all kind of sort of came on together and we got loads of encouragement from i remember that get my first job in radio which was uh, taken over from Zoe Ball on XFM, as yeah. before mentioned, and getting home to my crappy flat, and there was a massive bunch of flowers on my doorstep from Zoe to say <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> you Amazing. know, we all kind of like encouraged each other, and I, I'd been quite looking forward to that bit. You know, yeah. I was thinking like, like, where are they? Yeah. And then it struck me that... I want to say congratulations to someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, where is everyone? You know, it's like being a DJ and you finally get on the decks and you realise the dance floor is empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so looking around, I, I, I realised actually working in the music industry, I thought, oh, the same thing has happened to media. So mm. all of the kind of you know, satellite TV shows. There was this proliferation of satellite TV shows in, yeah. in the 90s, obviously, as I'm sure you remember. Yeah. And that was where I learned how to present to a point. I'm sure some people <laughs> would be like, you never got that good, Lauren. Don't wind your neck in. Don't do yourself up. <laughs> but, you know, that was, you cut your teeth and you did yeah. silly things and, and kind of learned the job. And it's, and I suddenly realised there that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's kind of gone. And so you have YouTubers, many of whom are completely fantastic, but yeah. who are doing a, a slightly different job. They're not, yeah. you know, not quite kind of doing what I do. 
and and there's a gap. Yeah. So I sort of thought, right, well, if we create something where we can, you know, help women, young girls and, and young women get their voices out there, you know, yeah. champion them and, and help them kind of try things, that kind of element of experimentation and is really important to me. that experience. Great experience, yeah. get, you know, this, this can be a place that people cut their teeth. And so for me, that was a really important part of, of wanting to uh, do the site. And then also as a con- from a consumer perspective, I just felt like there was so much online. The atmosphere was kind of hectic and judgmental and there was too much of it. And I wanted to come to a place that felt like informative and smart and interesting, but but kind of quite relaxing and aspirational at the same time and wasn't um kind of too just too full on you know this kind of overwhelming online atmosphere so the idea of the pool is that it's kind of clear and refreshing yeah but it's also like a nice place to be in a nice place to hang out so we we kind of you know put all that into a blender and and then that that's where the website came from and it's it's grown a lot over the yeah you know the last couple of years um the team is now i think this about depending on the day because not everybody's full time <laughs> it can be about like 23 24 people that's in amazing. the office and, and, and yeah and they're, and they're you know they're they're coming through now they're incredible writers and and you know, girls making AV content for us, and Marisa Bates and um, yeah. Lynn Enright, Caroline O'Donoghue, all having huge hit pieces, and are you know they're 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 part of our team, they're part of our core team, yeah. they're, they're every day making the site. It's amazing. I love that, and it's it's key because there's there's so many different areas and disciplines that people don't kind of give enough credit to or realize it's something that has to be learned and things like that and 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 presenting is a key one of them um again i think cutting your teeth on satellite shows and things like that has then allowed you to be able to comfortably present anything from festival coverage to the culture show and and stuff like that and a a real variation and i don't know it's it's a weird one because people tend to assume that if you've, you've been on tv then you can also present and you can also do this. And it's all, it's such a mixed area. I think um, t- 10 o'clock live was a great example of that. Cause I, I think it got a, a bit misunderstood in, in, in many ways. I, I personally enjoyed it, but also was aware that everyone has, has their roles. Um, you're not necessarily there to be a comedian. The comedians aren't necessarily there to present, but you need all of these things to, to hold it all together it's 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 not comparison but i did a, a tiny um a mixed martial arts show on bt sports at one point and and i was on there as an expert and this fighter was on there as an expert and then oj borge was on there as as the host mm-hmm. and he got a lot of flack for potentially not knowing as much as some of the other guys but he was doing the bit where you have an earpiece and have to lead things along and have to shrink try and drop a bit try and talk yeah. the conversation but but be having someone in your ear going yeah. we need to cut this we need to move on here and that's I, I always got so so defensive of OJ because it's well, like I can't do that. I tried that. I did. I did that once, and I found it horrible because there's a really interesting conversation, <laughs> and someone's in my ear going, "Right, wrap this up, up and move on up. to this." Yeah, so like, shut him up. Yeah. I wanted to look at the camera and argue with the producer so that no one else can I've hear because it's before. like I want to. Yeah. I want to hear this conversation. Just stop it. So yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's a balance of those skills well, that people f- don't necessarily appreciate as just a viewer. It's a funny job, isn't it? Uh, because if you are a good host, then essentially your job, if you're very good at it, yeah. then people don't know you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's the best. Yeah. You know, Wogan is a really good example yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of that. Of course. Um, I remember uh, years and years ago, one of the first TV jobs I did, I was working with Johnny Vaughan 
and Johnny talking about kind of hosting and presenting. And I always kind of describe myself as a host rather than a presenter because yeah. it is a bit like having a party in a yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be that. a serious party, you know, it can be a, a roundtable discussion on Radio 4 or whatever. But if you, you've got you've got some people coming around to your house for dinner, like you don't and you, you've had a fight with your husband and the dinner is burnt and there's smoke <laughs> yeah, coming out yeah, of the yeah. oven, like you shut the door in the kitchen, right? Yeah, and you don't yeah. fight in front of people. No, yeah. So obviously the better a host you are, the more you kind of hide your workings to an extent yeah and, and you know you, you you can't say like well i'm just doing my job and yeah. that, you know like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, sh- shutting people up as you say or, or you're on the red carpet and you have to do a hot change yeah. industry term which is where you know you're talking to one star and then another comes up behind them and you've got to kind of really politely like get rid of the first person just go by this start someone. talking it'll be like hot change kate winslet's on your left and uh it's it's a, such a weird kind of funny job. The skill of politely wrapping things up is Have just... Have a great night. Have a great night is the key. Yeah. But it, and it, it's like, it is a totally bizarre job to do. I love it. It's so much fun and so interesting. But, you know, like I say, where do you learn to do that now? Have you been able to translate that skill into when you're walking around London in a rush and you bump into someone <laughs> that was like on the show once or something and they're like, ah, oh, and, and, and have that hot change of being yeah, able to go... To I'm moving on now. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just really polite, quick. I am good at small talk. I will go, but I, what the thing I've never learned to do small talk about is um, travel. Right. So when you know, my nightmare is being at a dinner party and with someone who will tell you the route that they got yeah. to to get where you are. Like that's my yeah. That for some reason that just makes me feel like I'm going to have some kind of hemorrhage when it's, I'm listening to someone. Doing it's that. it's a it's a funny one because every time if I've I've driven somewhere, every time anyone asks me what way I came, it's literally followed the arrow on the screen now because of sat navs it's literally i you could tell me any road and i would agree that's what i drove well, you know along i was like i wasn't of, oh the i303 yeah, was a nightmare yeah, like if yeah. i'm with that guy i might burst into tears so, had, but apart from that i'm good at small talk i had limmy on the podcast and i had a tweet about it the other day and someone was saying i'm amazed that i've just sat through over 20 minutes of limmy talking about a train journey and it was <laughs> thoroughly enthralling and entertaining throughout and he he's one of the unique people i could listen to that conversation if anyone could it would be him he can pull that off um so i'll start to wrap things up as we're getting towards at the hour mark one of the things i wanted to discuss was what was the kind of transition from from the band into radio it was was radio we you went to first or was it, it TV first? What was the kind of... it was TV first. I did Depp for Steve Lamack on the evening session when I was 19. Uh, what? Wow. How did that happen? Yeah. I remember sitting in the chair looking at his desk and he'd <laughs> unwisely gone on holiday and knowing that I was going to um, introduce a Mogwai record and then play um, In the Navy by <laughs> the Village People Amazing. for two seconds before putting it back to Mogwai. Yeah. And just this feeling of like absolute terror... And also, I could run mad with the pet. This is amazing. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, technically, I did radio first. That's amazing. At 19, uh, at, at Radio 1, there I assume. There was nobody telling me what to do. Point. It was so weird. I always remember having a talking to Hugh Stevens. And again, in general, you talk about r- radio careers. Like, I started off on this, and then mm. everyone went to XFM at some point. Yeah, yeah. And then got here. And Hugh's like, at 16, I started on Radio 1. It's like, right, so you just started, just, yeah, just yes, as a child, true, you yeah. just started at the top of like, the biggest All right, station. Tom Daly, like, calm okay, down. Do you okay, know what I mean? Sure, yeah, I was exactly. on a high diving board, not a big deal. <laughs> Can show you some stuff. Um, so I, I did 
do that. I depth for Steve first. Absolutely loved it. But then um, just because of, kind of what was going on, uh, I'd been offered some TV jobs while I was still in the band. So yeah. I started doing kind of music shows, like I say, satellite TV and yeah. um, someone on um, Channel 4 and, and Channel 5. I did a show called Pop on Channel 5 and um, did loads of that kind of stuff. And I just sort of did it for show money, really. Yeah. I thought, you know, this is do this for a bit it's fun yeah and it just kind of never stopped and then i was offered a show on xfm and that was the saturday show and that was it was really really like coming home and it was just what i what i loved and and for me that was when i kind of found my little i found my nook you know i love the things i like that and and i swear most people you talk to can't sit down and say here was the plan or there was this plan thing. It's like, Mm-mm. I agreed to that because it sounded fun. Mm-hmm. And then on that, I met this person and that sounded fun. It's like stumble from one thing to another. And at the end, you get to look back and go, well, that looks like I knew what I it's was doing, didn't it? <laughs> it's post-rationalisation, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? All that the best you can do is kind of like, I am going to form a coherent narrative out of this later for yeah. now. You know, you kind of, you, you try stuff. And also it's, I've, been lucky enough to follow what I think is interesting, what I find yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I think if you get to do that, you have won the pools. So I've always just felt very, very lucky. And as as long as I have that ability, like to me, that is just, that's what success is. You yeah. know what I mean? To do yeah. a job that's interesting. Like my dad always said, you know, but he, he, he uh, was the kind of classic working class grammar school boy in the 60s who went, you know, went to university and become an academic. And he said, if you do something that you in, you're interested in, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And yeah, that's completely. absolutely true. And I, I, I legitimately think finding ways to justify your obsessions mm-hmm. as such. And again, it's, it, it's great that you get to regularly cover music and movies and, and art like and all sorts else. of different I've things done the same the yeah. same thing since i was 15 you know yeah. it's like records clothes yeah you know mates yeah. books that's it there isn't, like far, you know as far as i'm concerned you, you family there isn't anything else you yeah know? yeah i love that so it's so what's ahead or or before i get onto what's ahead what are you enjoying at the moment because because we did talk about potentially just chatting about stuff are there any films any music anything like what's your what's what's exciting you the most at the moment there's so much i think what's really interesting about about um music at the moment is there seems to me to be this kind of nascent it's not nascent in some places some places right out the front but i remember a few years ago being at glastonbury festival and uh trying to find an angry band and yeah. you just kind of couldn't, you know, yeah. everybody was, the vibe was just so mellow. You know, everyone yeah. had kind of uh, melodicas and, and banjos and things. And it was just really chill. It was yeah. really nice. And loads yep. of the music was great. But there was no, there was nothing kind of angry. And I was thinking, oh, it's just, you know, it's just funny. And I think one of the very interesting things about the situation, you know, sort of political and, yeah. and cultural situation going on in 2016 is that as you have the kind of mainstream cohering into a particular kind of, you know, political direction. I think there's a there's a, a counterpoint to that going on in alternative culture. Yeah. And at the minute I am I'm really interested in that and really watching, you know, what's coming out of that. You have a band like Sleaford Mods probably leading yeah. the charge, I yeah. think. Yeah, say, completely. You know, two guys from an estate in Nottingham making their version of Grime. Yeah, which is yeah, just yeah, like, what? Yeah. 
Um, and he's, as I was, uh, they were in on, on the show the other day and I said, the thing I love about them is they're just different to everybody else, but they're different to everybody else in about eight different ways. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, There's like yeah, nobody yeah, else yeah. like that. So they were the first kind of really bringing this kind of confrontational sound out there and it's amazing and obviously yeah you know there's always been elements of it in in genres like punk like grime like that's yeah. that's ever present but kind of you know a, a new development that feels new and i think there's a yeah. as you have the mainstream kind of cohering i think there's something about something similar happening in kind of underground in alternative culture yeah. And I it's find kind that of very exciting. And it's I fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to watch how it bleeds into all different things as well. So there's there's certain bands that have always always going to have that political edge or that angry edge or things like that. But there's and there's a guy called Rob Alton who I've just put his spoken word a record out of his on on my label. And the reason I fell in love with his stuff is he, he's kind of spoken word. He's he's kind of a comedian. He he does Edinburgh Fringe every year. And the thing that I fell in I love with the first show of his I saw was it was just called The Sky Show and it was about how great the sky is. And it was the most uncynical, just genuinely mm. like, it's brilliant, isn't it? Just an hour of how brilliant the sky is. The Laurie year Anderson be- does that. Laurie Anderson yeah. says, I come from a big sky place. Yeah. Uh, yeah like, amazing. The year before that, it, it done uh, The Yellow Show about how much he loves the colour yellow <laughs> and things like that. And the the one we did a video f- for on this is just, is off this album, is it, is a letter from Father Christmas. And again, it's all positive but then there'll be one line here or there that is just referencing the state of humans in general or the state of the world. And it seems to make it hit home all the more. It'll be, yeah. be, be such a throwaway little line that, that that you'll be like, oh man, this is this is affecting everything. Even even the safe, happy place has an element of, look, there's some bad stuff going on. Well, because the safe, happy place becomes more important. Yeah. You know, yeah. why do we love fairy tales? And why do we yeah. look, why do we, you know, we because because we're told them at night when it's cosy and we're safe. And yeah. why, do, why do we feel cosy and safe? We only really feel cosy and safe because it's dark and scary outside. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, that kind of, in, in that kind of, it, it's interesting. There's such a kind of parallel with music. I think even the beautiful, twinkly, gentle stuff yeah. becomes so much more important because it becomes a refuge from other things yeah. that are happening. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I had a, a, um, another musician on my show last Friday who's an American um, singer songwriter, multi instrumentalist. Actually, started out playing the fiddle in kind of <laughs> Appalachian uh, um, American country uh, music incredible player and she said that you know looking at what's going on in the states she just said her music is isn't overtly political but yeah. it is now she said i woke up and i thought it's more what i do is more yeah. important than it was yesterday yeah you know? completely and and i think that's absolutely right so from my perspective personally i think it's one of the great pleasures of, of doing music radio and you know the same goes for the website actually is that you get to be the other place you know even yeah. if you're not you know we're not taught we are politically neutral you know a, a bbc station and we're, we're not talking about politics but we are we're we're somewhere where people can kind of um step away from news yeah. and step away from the you know the rest of the world and kind of what's happening yeah it's also where they can weirdly kind of engage with it as well and, yeah. and, and see other people's takes on it and other people's ideas but it's it kind of becomes very important is, in opposition is, to what yeah, else is happening. It, it, it can always become that strange, that strange, safe and happy place, and, and never more apparent than in this last year with some of the musicians we've lost. Because mm-hmm. it's incredibly sad when Prince passed or when Bowie passed. But 
man, is it beautiful to tune in to a radio station and hear stories about that artist and everyone's yeah. celebrating it. It's, it's a weird thing. I discussed this with, I think it was, it was with Colin Murray. I was saying, obviously, death is a sad thing, but, but it is also inevitable and it mm. is, it's the only certainty in life, really. But humans' re- re- reaction to death can be the most beautiful thing there is when people are pouring into the streets and singing Prince songs. Oh, man, I'm, I'm welling up thinking about it. Genuinely, just the occasional video is like at that point, particularly Prince, who's my favourite artist. And I was like, man, I don't know how I feel about this because again, I've still, still, still got the music. Uh-huh. I've still got you know my relationship with Prince isn't going to change. Mm. It's not like we were texting every other day. It's <laughs> it's kind of we've, we've still got that. But then to go online and see everyone's stories and everyone's yeah. outpourings, everyone's. Our, our, our reactions it can be a beautiful thing and well it's funny isn't it i mean like we we've unfortunately had so so yeah. much of that this yeah. this year um and ju- i think what's uh, there's a few things there's an amazing um bukowski poem called it's strange when famous people die you right. that one? I that one? Yeah. so he wrote that in 1977 about nine weeks after elvis died I think. yeah and you look at the year 1977, if you think 2016 was bad, check yeah. out 77 right. because, you know, that was Chaplin, Garbo, oh, um, wow. Elvis, obviously, but yeah. also Maria Callas, you know, the early kind of the very first yeah. big Hollywood stars and the the, the very beginning of celebrity, yeah. I suppose, yeah. in the, the modern kind of mass media way that we think of it now. Um, so, and he says in that poem that it's like... If you were walking down a street in a building that you've gone past every day, is just not there anymore. Yeah, it's not that you knew that person, or you maybe went into yeah. the building, but and I, I and, that, and it yeah. is it's that that slightly disorient disorientating feeling that yeah. like how can how can Bowie not be alive anymore? Yeah, and I do feel like as a as a music lover myself, if you love someone's perspective on the world so much, if their lens that they look through, the way they see things, has become yours, yeah, and they die. It is a loss. Yeah, it is a loss yeah. because you've internalised their vision of the world, the way they see the world, yeah. and that's part of you. It's part of your identity. Yeah, you've taken what that in and absorbed that. What could be more personal than that? Yeah. What could be more, yeah. more important and more and sadder? You know, to lose yeah. someone. But so I think I think it is a loss. It's a, it's really valid to feel to feel sad and to feel that loss. But what has been strangely lovely, even though the days themselves were sad, you know, when, say, um, Bowie and Prince, obviously, but also Leonard Cohen. Um, yeah. For me, you know, we've had yeah. so many other artists. Alan Toussaint, an incredible songwriter, yeah. producer, New Orleans legend. Um, lots and lots of these artists dying this year. We get to go in and actually do something constructive on the day, and that's yeah. the that really is the kind of other place thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, best exemplified by Bowie Day or Prince Day. Yeah, we go in and it's like we need to be here for people, and yeah, it's, it's like the beauty of that. Everything else could you get to do something can, constructive. Can go out the window and you can go right. This is yeah. So it's we kind are of safe haven. sad, but really, really beautiful as yeah. well. And people talking about what their music meant to them and just telling stories and yeah, oh, it's amazing. I love it. Um, I'll I'll start. To wrap things up, I, th- I think I've said that three times now, so um, I will. You're going to have to start at some point. Um, I'm going to ask two more things. I'm going to ask what's ahead, and that's that's where we'll end things. But before that, how important has Glastonbury been to your life? Because it occurred to me that as a band, Glastonbury is generally seen as as the goal. In radio and TV, you've covered Glastonbury in your first novel, Candy Pop, you wrote about a, a journey oh, to Glastonbury. Yeah, did, yeah. So it's, it's, 
It's the Christmas it's, of music. It really is. It's the Christmas of music. I remember as a, like, the, when I was going as a teen, it was this kind of, this heavenly, unimaginable place. Because, again, particularly at that point, the, the, there wasn't th- three festivals every weekend over the summer. There yeah. was, it was this, this mecca of, of music and freedom and entertainment and everything. Well, so it's, I mean, it's such a special place to me. And I have a, a, a very kind of um, deep relationship with it now. Um, yeah. My because Emily Evis and Nick, her husband, are mates of mine. You know, yeah. they, 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 we were there, went down to the farm a few months ago to visit them. Awesome. And, you know, our kids play together and know yeah. each other and, they, you know, they, it's part of their lives as well. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's immensely important. You know, the first time I went, I was 17 or something and the stage sank and it was really, really, yeah, yeah we didn't get yeah. to play and yeah. we cut our clothes off and travelled home wrapped in bin bags and <laughs> everything, you know, it was just like total disaster. Amazing. But then going back and back and, and it was the first big presenting gig that I got working with John Peel and I think for me it actually comes back to what we were saying earlier about that. You know, that person who just, if you're in a position to give someone permission to do something that they want to do, yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, if it's a good thing and it's not going to hurt them, do it. Because he did that for me. Yeah. We were sitting together on, I had no idea what I was doing. God knows why the book does have got no, you know, like, I look back now and I just look like a naughty boy. My friend Sophie said, you look like a naughty boy. You shouldn't be there. That's exactly me. And there in a Diamante choker and a Parker, just like, Brilliant. you know, giggling. And um, we were sitting around and John Peely went, you're made for this shit, aren't you? Like that in one of the breaks. And I just thought, oh, well, if John says I must be, you know, yeah. I'll do this then kind of thing. It was a bit like I that. Love it. And I, I, I doubt that he saw anything in us, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I love John, but I doubt it. But it's that thing of somebody that you respect says to you, I think you can probably give this a go. Yeah. And you just can't. And so you believe them. And so, yeah, it's just it's that, it's it's that a powerful one lesson in that, that makes really. you go, all right. But then over the years, this. I mean, working there, you know, obviously interviewing everybody from, oh, God, you know, Metallica to Beyonce to Dolly Parton to yeah. Kate Tempest, to all yeah. of these incredible artists and, yeah. you know, up and coming bands as well, musicians every year. And then now we do a show, we try and do a show on radio every year where we get out with a mic on a backpack and yeah. just go out Amazing. and just meet people. And then it's, you, you meet like, a lady called Glennie who's been working in the green field since the 60s and, you know, knew awesome. everybody sort of told us the stories from, you know, the very beginning and what the festival meant to her in her life and said, I'm trying to compile an audio archive, you know, because my generation, we won't be around that much longer. This heartbreaking kind of yeah. conversation Right the way through to, you know, the guy who built the first pyramid stage. Oh, wow. Decommissioned telegraph poles from <laughs> um, the Ministry of Defence, which Amazing. they thought was quite the lol back in the day. Yeah, I bet they did. I bet they loved that. <laughs> um, and he was telling us oh, all about amazing. that. So, you know, that's like the real, the real stuff. And it's other festivals don't have that. You know, they don't have the the absolute integrity that Glastonbury does. It's And one of the things that annoys me when people write about Glastonbury and they talk about, oh, you know, the the kind of ultra-lux Glastonbury experiences. Yeah. Those are other companies that are nothing yeah. to do with Glastonbury yeah. Festival. People never clarify that. And it yeah. really frustrates me because there's, you know, obviously peripheral kind of uh, land around Worthy Farm. Yeah. But those businesses aren't... They're not, yeah. they're not the fa- the festival, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, So yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of think it 
just as I'm here, I might just point that out. Yeah, no. I saw an article this morning in The Guardian saying, oh, when you see these deluxe festival Glastonbury packages, that wasn't what it was about. And so, mate, those still don't isn't. exist. You yeah, know? It still like, isn't. I love that. I, I remember being s- such a snob for Glastonbury back in the day because a V festival was near me and I went to that one year and I was like, that's not a festival, man. And then I was like, it's not a festival. And the first, I have to admit, the first, I think, two or three times I went to Glastonbury, we drove up there and bunked in over the, f- the fence because we couldn't afford tickets, but camped and had the most beautiful time. And it was all this wonderful, inclusive thing. And then, you, you, uh, yeah, you did go to a V or even a Redden and Leeds initially. I was like, this is still cool, but it doesn't. I've Feel had some like brilliant times at other festivals, but it is just different. It is it's like yeah. Christmas, isn't it? You can have other parties, yeah. they're not Christmas. That would yeah. be excellent parties, but it is that's I the... remember years and years later the first time we played Best of All, it was the first place I'd got that same atmosphere and, mm. and feeling. Festival's it was a brilliant. smaller version, but it was the first time I was like, This is a festival, isn't it? This is what a festival's like. I get it now. I I remember. And it's something about the spirit of it. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old hippie, but it's it's who's behind it and where yeah where it's coming from, you know, the intention and, you know, knowing as well, Rob, the bank is just, yeah. and Josie, yeah. you know, they are, they're coming from the same kind of yeah. place. You know, they absolutely love the music. They're hippies. Love it's why it falls apart at points. And I think, I think the first three years I played best of all, I didn't play in the place I was originally booked to play. <laughs> that's but ne- that's the beauty good, of it. it? That's like, the beauty of it. It's like, oh, it's, it's fine. Cause it's again, that is it. It's their spirit. They're not some big business or company that have gone, let's make some money off festivals, this, 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 this. It, mm-hmm. it, it means there will be some... I remember Eddie Temple Morris getting particularly angry about it at one point. And, I can't um, imagine Eddie getting angry. Yeah, it, it was, it's because he'd got he'd got moved at some point. And then he said... The I've, most cheerful anger of all time. Yeah, again, Still smiling, a, a, but a positive anger. Livid. But I had, to, I had to comment on his blog to say how much I love Best of All because and me and Eddie were good mates. And he went, I've spoken to a close friend who's on Sunday Best and he agrees that this, this isn't... And it happened to not be me, but I was like that totally is going to seem to Robbie and everyone that it's me. So I was like, I understand your pain, but best of all, best of all, best of all, best of all, all that just to kind of go, look, I don't want to, I don't want to give it a, 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 a bad image. You're but a lover, yeah. a lover. Not a, exactly. Not a well, thank you very much for coming in and chatting. I am actually going to wrap it up now. I, I want to ask what's ahead, but from our whole discussion, it seemed like it's never been that planned anyway. So I'm not sure if you'll know what's ahead, will Who you? Who knows, Scrooge? I mean, more records, <laughs> more books, more, you know, thoughts yeah. and, and adventures. I think definitely, you know, working on Six Music and, and The Pool at the moment. Yeah. I've just not long been at Radio 4, kind of getting my yeah. feet under the table there working at... You've done all of them now, right? You've done one, two, three, four, five and, and six. six. Yeah, no, I've got, the, got the, full, collection. the full gamut. Did you get a badge so. or anything or a... I medal. Should. You know they what? I haven't even validated my pass to get us into the <laughs> bloody, uh, you know, broadcasting you got to, house. You've got to sign in every not day. Not that I'm bothered. Now that they've renamed my building Wogan House, that'll, that'll do, do me. I don't want to go anywhere else. Why would you? No. Um, but, but yeah, I should get some sort of, uh, like, girl guides badge that I can sew onto my, sew onto my jumper. Has, has the kind of motivations on what j- jobs you take changed at all, changed at all, changing, changed at all, it's, it's, since having a family because I know you do a kids show as well and stuff like that and oh, yeah. is that kind of I'm doing again, some more you're... of those at T and Mo on CBeebies if yeah. anyone uh, yeah if you've got kids um, check it out it's it's fun so much fun and I was singing for the first time in 20 years amazing so uh, yeah the C, uh, CBeebies lullaby um, the T and Mo song go to sleep I got to sing for, amazing for the first 
in the studio for the first time in two and decades. And that's got to be an exciting thing. Brilliant. Just from the perspective of exciting your Screw, children. I had an album out on iTunes. iTunes did not exist last time I had a record. <laughs> oh, that's mental, isn't it? <laughs> Damn, that's scary. And it probably won't exist in however long as well. Who it's knows what ahead? Constant movement. Well, thank you very much for coming in and chatting. Oh, where can people keep up to date with you on social media and stuff and, am, and the pool and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, I'm at Lauren Laverne yep. on um, Twitter and on Facebook as well. And the pool is uh, just thepool.com. Yeah. Check and out. I also do with recommend a in the middle. giving the, um, the, the Richard Herring uh, Live at the, at the Leicester Square Theatre podcast a listen as well because it's, it's a great listen. But thank you very much for thank coming you. in and chatting. Thank Cheers. Thank you for having me. There we go. That was Lauren Laverne. Isn't she just the loveliest in the world? Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought it was, it was great fun. Thank you for tuning in. Um, oh, I'll mention now, um, we put a new video up for a guy called Rob Alton. Um, who's fantastic, a new a new signing to Speech Development Records, and I think I think you'll like it. Um, if you go to my uh, Facebook or Rob Alton's Facebook or even to YouTube, it's called A Letter from Father Christmas, and it's absolutely amazing. It's it's a nine m- a minute spoken word piece, which will put a lot of people off, which is why we're all the more delighted. In the first twenty four hours, it got over twelve thousand views for a nine minute spoken word piece. So thank you, everyone. For, for watching that if you haven't watched it already genuinely go and give it a look i think give it two or three minutes and if you don't stick around till the end then fair play but i think you will and i think you'll be sharing it with all your loved ones it's a beautiful piece anyway i'll be back next week with robert sheehan uh from misfits and numerous other things a wonderful chat he's he was was one of the most open and honest and funny guys i've had on so you're going to enjoy that one Um, Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Bye.